Welcome to Deep Green, a bi-weekly show about how the built environment impacts climate change and equity. Deep Green is brought to you by Metropolis. I'm your host, Avi Rajagopal. Buildings are some of the biggest things we make as human beings. So if you want to know how we can do better for the environment and for our life on this planet, you have to understand buildings and cities and all the things that go into them. And that's what we want to help you with here at Deep Green. We have a special episode for you today. It's a sequel to last week's episode where we asked the question, how can we create green affordable housing? So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I strongly recommend you do so. In that episode, we had a conversation between two inspirational leaders in affordable housing, Katie Swenson, who is senior principal at Mass Design Group, and Shelley Halstead, who is the executive director of a nonprofit, Black Women Build. It was an incredible conversation, looking at the problems with property ownership and wealth generation in America. You know, conventional wisdom holds that the answer to America's housing crisis is how can we build new homes, build them cheaply, build them fast, and build them at scale. But here's the deal. Every new building we put up is a carbon debt. Tons of greenhouse gases going up into the atmosphere. Obviously, we need other strategies. So here's a bit from Swenson just to remind you about why renovating existing housing is so important. You can't overestimate the cultural value of existing buildings. And you also can't underestimate the sustainability function of older buildings. In the article, I was quoted as saying the most sustainable building is going to be the one that already exists. My friend Catherine Merlino wrote a book on the topic and I learned from. So there's no question that we need to invest in our existing buildings for so many reasons. Now on to this week's episode. We're bringing you today a solo interview with the other guest from last week, Shelley Halstead. Halstead trained as a lawyer and as a member of Carpenters Local 131. In 2015, she moved to Baltimore and founded Black Women Build, which helps Black women purchase rundown houses and then teaches them the skills to rehab the buildings into homes that they can live in. Through sheer dint of their labor, women have seen homes that they purchased for six or $11,000 now be valued at $80,000. What Halstead is doing is painstaking but thorough chipping away at racial and economic inequity, one person and one house at a time. Now, that's fundamentally more sustainable than building new. There are still plenty of barriers to doing the right thing for climate change. Local code, for example, forces some renovators to make choices based on cost rather than sustainability. There are systemic disincentives like that to reusing existing housing stock. Here's Metropolis editor Kelly Beeman in conversation with Halstead, who explains what some of those challenges are. This is Shelly. So I went to law school later, and then I got a job in D.C. doing policy work. And that was the first time I'd really spent any time in an office. And I was ill-suited for that. Just the office politics and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and how to use my skill set. Law school made me a better writer. 
I just wanted to build and I moved to Baltimore because there's so much potential, just so much potential. It makes a lot of sense to follow the issues. Yeah, and I had a full ride to law school. And if I didn't do public service, I would have had to pay back that, those, that the loan. So that was also like, if I'm not going to practice law, how can it be legally sufficient? And that was to start an organization and to be the executive director and do the bylaw, yeah. the articles of incorporation and that sort of stuff. That seemed to satisfy the Gates Public Service Law Scholarship. So when you were younger, did you do any of this? Did you sort of get into working with your hands? No, that came, I lived on a commune and lived on an ashram and they were always building in those places, like in, in Belgium on this commune and then in India on this ashram. So that communal living was interesting to me. And so mm-hmm. I thought, well, when I come back to the States, I want to buy land and build a place for my friends to come and just be creative and do what they want to do. But I actually, I didn't have building skills. And so I'd done some building on the ashram. We built a library, but it was all, all by hand. So that it was like the balance between the mind and the body and cutting little steel ties with a hacksaw and then like drilling with an auger. Yeah, that sort of stuff. But learning how to use power tools was awesome as well. Wanting to create this type of thing lent itself to just the idea of like rebuilding these blocks and and building community in that. You mentioned that you're not from Baltimore, but you were aware of that situation in Baltimore, which since I'm from there, it sticks in your mind, that image of those blocks and blocks. What was it about the existing housing stock there? Because you and I talked about the fact that you could duplicate this in other cities too. Sure. Why start there? Honestly, it was up the road from DC, you know, and I was in DC. The housing stock, it was really affordable. And when I mean affordable, I like a thousand bucks for a house. They're completely degraded. I could kind of just see it. Also too, I'm thinking, what about a place like New York? And like you mentioned, the bureaucracy, getting the permits and stuff like that could really squash your efforts. But I, I would imagine it's a little bit easier someplace like Baltimore. Is that yeah. possible? Is Actually, that the, the permits aren't the, aren't the thing. It's really just like some of the infrastructure stuff where these houses, because they were vacant for so long, the city removes the utilities. And so Mm. to have the utilities installed again, actually, is just kind of, it's kind of a lot. There's a lot of hoop jumping. Some of them still have a, a, a water vault. Some of them don't. So then you're paying to have, you know, the permits for the right of way. And then you have to use a certain drain layer to, to do that work in the public right of way bringing water out to the vault or to the meter or trying to even get the meter. For some reason, it's all the Department of Public Work stuff that I find just frustrating. That's the sort of thing that would make someone run away from existing housing stock. I wonder what you think of this buzz about the current administration, the Biden administration, considering housing as infrastructure. I I can't remember exactly who floated that. Is that something that's come up? Have you talked with anyone about it? What's your feeling? I mean, maybe. I started sitting in on meetings where people were talking about what that would look like and how to get the money. And I just, it felt a little over my head, honestly, in terms of just 
getting the money. And it just felt like trying to elbow in on that when I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, because honestly, it will come to me. If that happens, yeah. I'll figure out a way to get it. To right. Me. We're producing, do you know? When that first came out, there was a bit of buzz and that has since died down. So we'll see. In that sense too, what about resources? Because I'm sure that's always a concern. What do you find that you're really relying on? Grants, grant donation. We're getting some fairly decent grants. We sell the properties and that money goes back into our coffers. The reason it works is because we're a nonprofit. And the reason it works is because we get it done. We have now seven houses to show in two years. And that's that's something for basically just being me as the sole person. I mean, now we've hired a program manager to deal with participants and that sort of stuff. And we hired Brianna from the last cohort who's becoming a little Finnish carpenter. I mean, it's because we produce. And so, so the grants are coming in and donations, individual small foundations donating. People are always like, oh, if I just had the money or I had houses, you know, then I could do whatever. I was like, well, I didn't have a salary for a couple of years and I used my own money to get it started. I'm not saying everyone should do that, but it's like, well, do you want to see this happen? And I did. And that's, that's how I made it happen. I had to prove the point with the first house. And I knew that if we could do one house and show, show them that we could take this house that has no back and no floors and turn it into a home for someone, then it would come, right? Then the money would come and it, and it happened. Yeah. That's awesome. I really would like to see, I know there's only one of you, but I'd, I would like to see it in other cities. I would like to see that. I just feel like a lot of places could benefit from that model. It works because I'm a general contractor and I can walk into a building and I'm like, oh, uh-uh, you know, that, that vent's in the wrong spot. They're small enough houses that we don't have to spec out exactly where the plumbing goes. And I mean, you know, we have an architect draw up the plans and we have framing drawings, but I'm like, I want this here and I want that there. Let's put the stove here and the whatever. And you can change that up. It's just walking through the house with my subs and just saying, this is what I want. And walking in and saying, nope, that doesn't work. And working with the same guys, they, one, they know I'm, I know what I'm talking about. And two, just coming with the professionalism and the quality of work, they know what I expect now and that I don't have to check them. Like, you know, maybe I had to in the beginning. Do you see, do you see a pipeline? I mean, you really, you were creating a pipeline for not just home ownership, but for becoming a builder, right? But you need somebody to actually feed into your program. Do you see a pipeline for people? We're trying to create one. You know, we were just talking about some vocational schools and maybe they'd be interested. I thought we would have people just like lining up and that is not the case. Yes. And I don't know, which is why I, I hired a program manager just to be like, can you deal with this? COVID's been a little difficult because you can't have like this open house where people can actually see. So Tanika is working on that aspect of it. But we have 10, 12 more houses right now. And we'll see how those go. There could be more if we want. I just kind of want to get through four or five more before we start taking on more. 
I don't want to be that developer that sits on these houses for years and years. Well, because that's what's happened. And that's why Baltimore looks like it does in part. It's like, oh, it's cheap. It's really expensive to get these houses. Oh, wait, it's going to take a hundred grand to like make this a viable Mm -hmm. space. And it's only worth 60. (laughs) Huh? I guess I'll wait. And then the roof falls in and organic debris starts to, or organic material starts to grow up on the, on the sides of the houses or, you know what I mean? Like it just, and then it starts to decay. And um, Wait, but the city allows them to do that at some, do they seize them back from people? No, it's a difficult process through receivership. They can, because actually the vacants aren't necessarily city owned. We've got three vacants on our block that this guy, we keep offering them money. He's right in the middle of these houses we're building. We'll offer them money and then he won't respond or he'll say, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll accept your offer. So I send him the offer, doesn't respond. And I'll check in and he'll give me an amendment that's like crappy for us. But I'm like, we need the property because it's damaging ours. So you could do like a continuing tort where you can sue them into working on it or something. So I signed the amendment. That was the last round. I signed the amendment. I just sent it back. Another property, we went to settlement, brought the check and left. And then they called and said, well, the guy said he couldn't come up from Virginia. He'll come up tomorrow. Okay. And then so Tuesday, the next Tuesday, I'm like, did we close or not close? They said, oh, he he came in to close and decided it wasn't enough money after he saw like how much was getting taken out for liens and everything. And so he just walked away. There's a row house. So this is a contiguous property. And that's a bummer. What are you going to do? It seems unconscionable to me that the city would still allow this person ownership. Yeah, he's going into receivership. That's something that the city, that's their one of their legal tools. So that's going wow. into receivership. You know, and then I'm just like, dude, we're going to get yeah. it anyway. You know what I mean? But it's so unfortunate. In the meantime, he's yeah. contributed to this horrible blight. You've helped me understand that that's the case. I mean, in every time we see these sitting yeah. there. There's a lot. Don't get me wrong. But like comparatively now, I think it's more it's more private ownership. And then also, just like a lot of other places, somebody's passed. And it goes to their, their heirs and you might have four or five heirs and nobody's like set up probate. And so trying to notify five people who then maybe someone else has died and then it went to their heirs. That's a property where one has probate set up and then do they have heirs? There is an initiative within the city at a a legal organization to go, to go forth into the more disenfranchised and historically redlined neighborhoods to get people to get their wills together. People are like, I don't own anything. It's like, yeah, but you do. Especially those people that have houses or have some legal right to, to property, wanting to get that set up so that it doesn't end up in foreclosure because you didn't pay the tax bill because nobody knew that one, that you owned it or that it had to get paid. Yeah, there's a lot happening in Baltimore. I spent most of my years on the West Coast in like Seattle and Portland and Oakland, or mostly Seattle though, but it's just like that stuff didn't really happen in the same way out there. Why do you think 
it hasn't happened out there is because less redlining out there. No, I mean, Central District in Seattle was a redlined area and it was traditionally a Jewish area, right? And then they allowed black folks to move in, just like almost every place. No, but it's predominantly white city or those cities are. And Baltimore had like the most free blacks than anywhere. And so- Wow, I didn't know, realize that. Yeah. And so I think that there's just this way, you know, it's a, it's a black city. It's a black working class town, or it used to be before the steel. You know, I would say I'd never lived in the South. I'd never lived in a, a state where enslavement was legal until I moved. We're up around that. I, it's refreshing actually to, to hear- I'm like, no, man. These are, yes, these are the remnants. These are the remnants. Exactly. That's exactly it. This is the northernmost south state. People are surprised. They think that, oh, well, but it it was a southern sympathizing town. Absolutely. Uh, Well, Baltimore was. Absolutely. Yeah. And Frederick Douglass was enslaved in Maryland. So it's not as if it wasn't. Absolutely. Yes. The remnants of that, you see it. As an outsider, Mm. I, I feel like it's noticeable. Deep Green will be back after a short commercial break. Deep Green is brought to you by Krypton, a Metropolis Sustainability Next partner. Always cleanable, disinfectable, beautiful, and sustainable. Krypton fabrics are focused on performance. We're here to make certain that we don't leave a mark. Learn more about ePure, our latest sustainable performance fabric, at krypton.com epure. If, I know this is a big if, I mean, because there's so much work to do there. If you were to make strides and sort of almost run out of stock, which won't happen, what would be the next city that you think would need a solution like yours? Oh, man, I don't know. I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't know. I mean, you know, it could have been, well, I don't know, honestly. I mean, when I was thinking about cities, it, it could have been Philly or or maybe Cleveland or Detroit, like Rust Belt places, places in the South. But the housing stock, I don't know how much it costs. I don't know how much like infrastructure or even like like city and state grants. That's what really is very helpful for us. Mm. Like, do they want to see that? Are people upset that it's like, this is called Black Women Build? Probably. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. Have you in- directly encountered that attitude? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think some people were just like, really? And I'm like, why not? Yes, it's literal. There you go. There's been like someone applying that's a white male who's 60 something and who said they haven't had a job for 12 years. And I'm like, well, you would need a job. You know what I mean? Whether you're Mm. like anybody can apply. Absolutely. Anyone can apply. I would question why you would want to apply to a program called Black Women Build Baltimore, but anyone can apply Mm -hmm. because it's, it's open to anyone, but we can't get black women to apply. So I don't know, (laughs) you know, we're not giving anything away. You've got to get a mortgage. Do you know what I mean? We're just trying to teach some skills while we're helping someone become a homeowner in these houses that could be better well used, that were slated for demolition or that we're so degraded, no one else can do the work as a for-profit because the cost of the rehabilitation is more than the appraisal value. 
that's why we're a nonprofit. It's not because, oh, we can apply for grants. It's because there's no way to do these houses otherwise. Or you're going to ask for large subsidy from the city and state. And it's like, I don't know, are they going to give it to you or not? As a nonprofit, I can apply for a grant and have that grant be successful. And ideally, Mm -hmm. we'll raise the comps in the area so that other private developers can come in and not clean house, but build affordable, quality houses, which is what I would like to see in Baltimore, because there's some ramshackle stuff that I just, you know, like, wow. Wow, you take money from people to some of those. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. It's unconscionable. It's clearly doable because, I mean, well, you're looking at the areas that, what, Hopkins didn't want to bother with. Yeah. Well, and They certainly came in. Yep, they did. Boy, they bought it and bought your grandma's house and made a parking lot out of it. And on the east side, it's all meds and eds, right? And there's really not those anchor institutions on the west side like that. And so Mm. you got to bring some commercial space to those residential areas if those are going to succeed. So anyway, Mm. we'll see. Mm. We'll see. How do you keep your spirits up? Because it is a lot of work. When do you play? Oh, I don't. And how? I don't, which is bumming me out. I don't, actually. I'm down here in Bonaire and I'm working. Is anyone else doing something close No. To what you're doing? No. You're definitely the exception when it comes to contractors. And I I, I say that a little tongue in cheek because you're so much more than that. But a contractor who's willing to help people out, take the time, take a loss. You know, that is, it's an oxymoron, right? Yeah. If I didn't get some of my needs met, I would not continue doing this. If it was so difficult now to get houses, which it's not, it is in the privately owned, but if they're city owned, the process is going a little more smoothly. Is there excitement on their end? Oh my God. Are you kidding? Yeah. They're like, you're the panacea for what hills Baltimore. And I'm right. I think so. I don't, that's, I don't. They're excited when you come into the office, right? They're excited when you call. Yeah. Because you're making change. Yes. So that's cool. The satisfaction is stepping back and saying, I built that. It's being able to say, I put this thing together. I mean, when I was a union carpenter, I could drive around Seattle and be like, I built that bridge. Clearly not me by myself, but it's like, I spent a year slogging through to get this drawbridge Mm -hmm. up, or I touched every cabinet in the suites at Safeco Field in in the baseball Mm -hmm. field. And then also just the personal like rebuilding houses being like, oh, that used to be the front lawn was a driveway. And now there's a beautiful garden and my front porch that my neighbors can sit on when they come by and we can hang out, right? Like that was Seattle. So being able to look upon the things I've worked on and say, I did that. That brings me satisfaction. I pointed to the idea that they love to see you coming hoping that sort of incentivizes them, the people in those positions to maybe cut through the bureaucratic red tape, make some changes. Mm -hmm. Do you ever hear any noise about that? Baltimore is full of change. They're trying to figure it out. To me, that's the thing about Baltimore is there's so much potential for change. We just got this grant from the city and went to this thing where the mayor like hands you your little envelope or whatever. And this news station 
was like, hey, can we talk to you about your grant? Yeah, okay, sure. And they're like, the blight, the blight. And, you know, they want me to say <sighs> like, oh, it's horrible, whatever. And I was just like, there's so much potential. I, yeah. I see what you're saying, but there's so much potential here. What I'm realizing is there's so much potential that you really do have to focus on the thing that you're doing because, and I don't want to say there's so much need, but there kind of is. There's so much need, mm-hmm. there's so much potential that you can be really expansive about how you want to do your thing. It's just all like kind of interconnected. If I'm building houses and I'm getting black women into houses and becoming homeowners, and then it's like solving for home ownership, solving for rehabilitating these blocks, solving for community, solving for financial literacy, solving for workforce development, solving for, say, commercial space in that third place that communities need apart from work and home. Solving for these things and like how to do that, I find exciting. And also it's so expansive that I'm like, okay, well, let's first get this down. Like I want to streamline this process that I'm in, but I want to incorporate some of these other things that are interesting, like that commercial space, or I have a building now that I'm wanting to build black artists lofts in. It's consolidated four row homes. So it's like one large building now, three story in historic Marble Hill on a corner. And I'm just like, put 12 lofts in like full floor lofts, put a little studio in the back for a gallery to show your work. So trying to create other spaces adjacent to the spaces I'm already working in, like in the neighborhood I live in. And that's why I'm saying there's so much potential as someone who knows how to build. It's like, oh God, is someone else going to be able to buy this building? And it's like, well, yeah, they could, but, but look at it. There's no back, Mm. no roofs. One facade is like bulging. You know, the brick has to be rebuilt. It would have been daunting five years ago. And it was even on these small houses. When I first moved to Baltimore, Uh I couldn't wrap my brain around how to rehab them. And now I'm like, these are just bigger row houses, basically. It's going to be more expensive. I might have to get a sprinkler system in there and because of the commercial space or because they're so large, the live workspace. But like, it's something that's just doable. I find it doable at this point. And so why not? Morphing in. That's a result. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, not being turned off, not going in the other direction, you not, not becoming too jaded. I mean, of course, from where I sit, mm-hmm. it is a lot. When the home ownership part is so important, I wonder for you, is the conversation coming up about sustainable materials? Just curious about, I want to hear your reaction. Especially when cost is an issue, how much can you afford to have those conversations? Because, you know, over here in lofty, like magazine land, that's talked about, right? And of course, it's talked about for like big commercial projects. But I feel like sometimes there's a missed opportunity. I find it's too expensive. It's too much time. It's a ton of fiddling with if I like got all interior doors that aren't already in a frame. And now I have to like fit the door to some frame. Like I don't have time for that. Like that's for homeowners. That's right. That's for somebody who's like, I'm going to do this over the weekend, you know, like hang a door. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to put six doors in and trim them out today. Right. And then put the baseboard in. 
Like that's how fast I want to move. I can't afford to, to do that. So, you know, like putting in skylights, like we'll do that. Right. Because that's like hallways, stairwells and bathrooms, or maybe like, you know, between the closets or something so that thinking about letting light in so you don't always have to turn the light on. Yeah, low VOC, you know, we're, we're doing like engineered hardwoods and stuff like that. I don't know. You know, it's too much. I don't have time. Deep Green is produced by Metropolis. I'm your host, Avi Rajagopal. The podcast is edited by Hannah Vidi with support from Lauren Volker. Today's story was reported by Kelly Beeman. A big thank you to today's guest, Shelley Halstead, and to all the folks at Sandow Design Group who support Deep Green. We'll be back in a couple of weeks asking what is the best, most effective way for anyone to step into the fight against the climate crisis. Ditching single-use plastics or going vegan is good, yes. But if you want to make a difference at scale, what should you be doing? Join us again for Deep Green, available wherever you get your podcasts.